This is the story of Renee Beloise, the college student turned gambler, turned broker, turned broke, turned gambler again, turned <laughs> turned debt collector, turned mob boss. Renee's crimes are some of the most heinous in the world of true crime. From stealing Nutter Butter cookies at a gas station to forcing someone who owed her $15,000 to eat Nutter Butter cookies until their stomach exploded. I'm Colin Absher-Bear, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Shaver. Welcome back to our true crime podcast, the name of which is... Nutter Better. She gambles with peanut butter, almond butter, cashew butter, you name it. She's going to be betting on that butter, and she's going to lose it all. Uh, we chose a longer title for this podcast. Yeah, that's a really long. It doesn't quite fit on the like little you know thumbnail in the app store. It's a problem. We probably need to rebrand. Renee Beloise, aka the Nutter Butter, one of my favorite cereal. The Nutter Butter. <laughs> She's a gambler. Also, you said she was a gambler, then became a broker and a and then better. Turned, uh, yeah, gambler turned broker turned broke turned gambler again. Did she ever? <laughs> she ever stop gambling? Like, I'm pretty oh, sure that no, that continued. <laughs> well, the good news is, is this is not nutter better. <laughs> this is a show we like to call Bar to Death. Butter to death. <laughs> Butter to death. Welcome back, BTD fam. I am your host, Colin Apshaber, and this is Ryan Shaver. Mm. Season two, we're still rolling, despite all common beliefs and text messages and phone calls we've received. We're still going. There was a lot of backlash, <laughs> a petition, um, <laughs> diplomats got involved, diplomats. a summit was held in Geneva, but call, we are- Call from Obama, I screened him. <laughs> we, are per, we are persevering. We are persevering into season two, which is Ryan explained the past couple weeks for us so well. Uh, we're kind of switching it up a little bit in season two. Each uh, episode conversation is centering around one theme, one word that is guiding Ryan and I into sharing stories and thoughts, all things in relation to that word. I do not know what Ryan is preparing. He does not know what I'm preparing for the conversation. And the word for today's episode is one. That gets us both very excited, uh, as mm. with most people, and that is food. It's like, ask, it's like asking if I like food. <laughs> That's a great quote. Ryan, anything you want to add or you want to jump right into it? I, I think I think we should jump right into it. I think our, our uh, to reiterate, our goal is that this will this one word, this one idea will kind of allow our conversation to splinter off in both um, predicted and unpredictable ways. Mm -hmm. Um, so we can cover some stuff that we've come prepared with. We prepare differently. I have no idea what Colin wants to talk about. He has no idea what I want to talk about. Um, only my moleskin knows that, but Mm. also I think we'll, we'll go in some unanticipated directions and talk about stuff that neither of us were prepared to talk about. (laughs) Awesome. I'm excited. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to kick it off if that's okay, Rye. Um, I'm actually going to veto that, and I'm going to kick it off. <laughs> I'm going um, to Don veto that, and I'm going to kick it off. Uh, my, you know, Cole, if, if I could run point on this one, um, I just think I'm better at it. No, I'm just kidding. Please kick it off. Uh, so this past weekend, sister-in-law, brother-in-law are in town uh, with my wife and I. Delightful weekend. 
primarily what we did was we just ate great food. Sounds like visitors were in town. <laughs> yeah, it just sounds like we had people in town. Of course, we watched movies, like we went kayaking, we went on walks, we did different things. Um, some active, some not, but a big part of it was we cooked food together, we went out for food together, we had this huge we we had this huge grill out, we did steak fajitas on the grill and Ooh. uh corn, you know, corn on the cob on the grill, and we grilled watermelon and veggies and just it was like you this. Grilled huge, watermelon? Yeah, it was this thing my wife really wanted to try that she had read about. It was was interesting, interesting experience. But in the midst of that meal, um, or it might have been when we were having sushi and and Thai food, but in the midst of one of those meals, my stepsister, uh, stepsister, (laughs) sister-in-law, Emily, um, said, how great is it that food is good? Mm. And it basically launched this conversation. It was a really interesting comment, really simple, but really beautiful, I think, about it doesn't have to be good. Like right. at its core, it is sustenance, right? It's fuel. And it's just awesome that it tastes good. <laughs> not all of it, of course. Of course, it's very subjective, but yeah, I don't know. Kale and, does not taste good. <laughs> which is interesting because she, she cooked kale the first night and it was really good. Um, oh gosh, but we yeah, just lost our, our vegan <laughs> constituency. Um, yeah, and just like thinking about I don't know. We just kind of thought about that and yeah. the experience of food. And of course, like it's something. Yeah. So I just wanted to throw that out to start. It's baller quote, Emily. Um, two, two kind of thoughts there. One is romantic and the other is not. And mm-hmm. the, the unromantic one is that I often think like, why do I prefer this food over that food? For example, mm-hmm. Why does butter taste really good to me when it's melted on peas, but raw kale doesn't taste as good? And I guess there's, I'm not an expert on this, but I guess there's like some sort of um, evolutionary evolutionary explanation for that is like, because all throughout time, man did not have enough food and was, didn't know where his next meal was coming from. And so he... What, he gravitated towards fatty, like fatty foods, carbohydrate, mm-hmm. carbohydrate. Wow, dude, this is just brutal. <laughs> Can, cannot say any words I'm trying to say. Carbohydrate and fat, fatty rich foods because his body was basically encouraging him to store up in case it was, mm-hmm. you know, a week before his next meal. Of course, it's not a problem anymore, but we still have that instinct. So I guess that's one possible explanation why we like some food. Having said that, we can't stop there because food goes so much deeper. It, it, it's so emotional. It's so spiritual. It's so tied to memories and desires that aren't purely physical. Mm-hmm. And when I, you know, bite into like a meatball sub, I swear something else is happening outside of like pure caveman satiation. So <laughs> I, I can't, I guess I can kind of, but, but not fully explain why mm. food is good, but I am equally grateful nonetheless. Yeah. Same, same. And I feel like that's really interesting. Cause we, we kind of talked about briefly at dinner, um, about, I, I made a, like kind of a stupid comment. I was like, well, like the history of it is developed. And of course, like we in the West, like experience food differently than other people in the rest of the world, because like we yeah. have so much of it and we waste a lot of it. And like, there's just more options and, um, you know, ability to get food. But 
one of the things I had mentioned is like, well, it's like, it, like I, I said that salt was invented in the midst of this conversation. Like someone invented salt and it helped <laughs> preserve. And, and they just like laughed at me. They're like, no one invented salt. Like someone maybe discovered it, but like. Stuart salt. <laughs> and it's like, that was the original preservation method of like preserving yeah. things. And then like once the refrigerator like comes along, it's like, okay, we don't have to use it that way anymore. It's like, now we use it to like bring out the flavors of things. And, um, I don't know, like there, there is like this, of course, mass development and history of food. Like bread doesn't just grow like yeast grows and, right. and, and barley and grain and you can, you can make bread, but like, yeah, like who was the first person to make bread was like the thing I was thinking about. Like who was the person who was like, this is bread and everyone just freaked out about it. Um, yeah. Well, I always imagine like just generations of, of bad iterations before something is good. So like mm-hmm. who invented beer, who invented bread, who may, you know, like drank cow's milk for the first time. I always imagine everything was really bad until it became its modern form. So like mm-hmm. the first beer, like back in the middle ages, everyone probably drank more beer. Not, this is such a hyperbolic statement. Many people drank more beer than water because it was actually safer because the alcohol oh, that's disinfected. Right. But I bet if we went back in time, it's not going to be like a Corona cur- commercial where it's like <laughs> every time a king executes his wife for not bearing him a son, a Corona gets its lime. And it's like, it would have been this like room temperature, thick, dark, <laughs> stouty, Syrupy. disgusting. Yeah, just like with sediment on every, it. And every like, alcohol commercial in the Middle Ages is actually a water commercial. And they say drink responsibly. They refer to like the safety of water. <laughs> Don't drink that water. Drink, drink at your own risk. <laughs> Don't you dare give that to your child. So That's so good. Give him an ale. <laughs> give him an ale instead. Yeah, man, that's real. That is really interesting. So the first bread probably was not very good. <laughs> no, and like, not to not to jump to I don't know. Like, so wh- where do we want to go from here? What do you, What do you got? I feel like when I think of food, I, I my mind goes straight yeah, to, fa- to fa- family. I mean, oh, it's it, in my head. It's like a direct link in so many different ways and and f- family meaning my like obvious family but also like my you know your family my my friends my loved ones so um i don't know where does your when you just think of food do you just like think of chicken parm sandwiches or do you think of something <laughs> do you think of something deeper colin that's funny you say chicken parm sandwiches because chicken parm is like one of my favorite dishes and i wrote that Preach. down to talk about later but Preach. um for sure i think of like the communality of food and, and it is like this definite like experience. It's an experience with others. And when I think about the funniest or like, you know, best kind of moments of my life, a lot of them have been around a table with people. And, um, I, yeah, like one of the things we mentioned, um, in the laughing, the laughter conversation was about, we talked about dinner at my house like with the bears. And that's kind of one of the things I thought of is it's like pretty much like when we're on vacation or when we're all together, like the really the first conversation of the day is like, what are we having for dinner? <laughs> um, and we kind of orient our whole day around this reverse very, engineer. Yeah. Like this very big event um, of like, are we cooking steaks? Are we doing Italian? Like, are we going out? Like what's, you know, what's, what's happening tonight? And 
it really was this huge event that had it was very you know very open table in my family you know anyone's welcome we we're always bringing friends like like ie ryan like to dinner yeah and girlfriends and friends and there was just like a lot of food like too much always too much food and like <laughs> like a ton of laughter and stories yeah. and it really was this very like communal sacred space in my family uh, i remember growing up we had um friday night was pizza night and so yes. i remember as a kid even like coming home on the bus and on Fridays and just being excited that it was pizza night. And, um, we'll get into like favorite foods later, I think, but that's, that, that's still to this day, one of my favorite foods. Um, because it was a very, like dad was like home on time from work on Friday and, you know, like we, we, it, I don't know. It's like, you can't order pizza without it being communal. Cause you argue about what toppings to get. And there's like this big conversation, about like, what do you get on it? And like, it is oh. physically like made for a community It is a circle exactly. meant to be put in the middle and can be pulled from literally every direction. Yeah. And like it, I even, I was thinking back and like, I never stopped doing pizza night. Like it's no. not with my family anymore, but like at least once a week it's I like alone have, in your car <laughs> like a cost, do pizza like, do pizza night d- down by slice, the ditch a slice at costco just alone in the bathroom uh, just sobbing <laughs> but no i'm serious there yeah. a week does not go by where i don't eat pizza because oh, yeah. and it's just like ingrained in me and um yeah i don't know just that uh, i one other just quick story about pizza because this is kind of funny well no let me let me pause there right what do you what do you so you, you, you said family specifically, I said more like communal, like what's, what's family, what's your family's relationship to food? What's that like? A big, we have a big Catholic family. So there's six of us plus now my brother is married and has two kids and, you know, add in significant others. Um, not that we're all in one area at the same time very often, but it's just mm-hmm. like the only time you're ever going to get that many people together still like especially not in this day and age, not staring at, you know, a screen or anything Mm -hmm. is, is over a meal. So like, there's just something wonderfully poetic about this. Like, it's almost like the sun rising, the sun at its peak and the sun setting. Like Mm -hmm. that's what kind of breakfast, lunch, dinner kind of mirrors potentially Mm. as these like little poetic timekeeping devices of like, Hey, let's all hit pause. Let's calm down. Let's come together, engage with one another. Obviously there's an element of idealism here. Um, many, you know, it's just hard to get everyone in one place. It is hard to put down your phone these days. It is really hard to be super present, but I think more than anything, I can think of food really facilitates that, that opportunity. Mm. Um, and, and I, I think we would all do well to seize it more myself included. I spend most, the vast majority of my lunches eating at my desk. I eat eat breakfast like over a sink while I'm like, (laughs) you know, downing coffee. And, And when I think of the best meals, I think of really, I'm thinking of good company as well. Mm-hmm. And, and I realize that food is, is just better with company. Um, Dude, that's a oftentimes. great point. Uh, yeah. How often are we just like, I can't tell you how many lunch breaks because, so I'm a pastor. I spend a lot of my day with people and I yeah. really value being able to, and of course, sometimes I'm at my desk, like throwing down a, a power bar or something, you know, but I really value being able to like get a sandwich 
sit down with, you know, find an empty room at the church or, you know, wherever I am in the coffee shop, you know, pull out my phone and watch a 20 minute episode of the office or scrubs or something while eating, because I just like need to be introverted for a minute. And there really is like, it's like you look down and like your meal's gone. Like you don't even like realize you were eating it. Like what did I just eat? Yeah. And it's like this, that, that idea of like being present, I think is really like sitting at a dinner table or, you know, breakfast table, lunch table, whatever, like with people, it's like no phones. We're going to eat our meal. Like it's an incredibly, I mean, there's been studies. They've found that you just eat less if you're not yeah. watching TV when you eat. Right. Um, because you're just more, I guess, more centered in the moment. Yeah. I, I hate that feeling if you're like, wait, I just ate. And like, you don't, you <laughs> didn't even realize you did it. It's so nauseating it's mm-hmm. just on an existential of you didn't savor one bite you were doing something else thinking about it um mm-hmm. and and I, sh- I i really want to hammer home like i think it's it's exceedingly rare to get these moments oftentimes it, it might just be holidays or birthdays um our world just moves so fast mm-hmm. and it's not like my childhood was like full of these idyllic meals but in fact i remember my dad just like in a very loving healthy way just castigating us for our like table manners when we were younger. So mm. elbows on the table, smacking, um, not holding the silverware, you know, properly or cutting, you know, mm. properly. And I, my dad would really get onto us. He was like militant about that. Really? And, and, and that was kind of the thing he was most militant about. And I remember storming out of a few meals and, and like being sent to my room and, and just, you know, 11 year old tantrums being thrown, but I'm 29 now. And when I'm eating out and I look around and I see other adults with, you know, smacking, just poor table manners. I, I thank my dad implicitly (laughs) at least once a week that he just like beat that in physically, but, um, (laughs) he's just like emotionally, emotionally just beat my ass. Um, Just straight up loving child abuse. That uh, would have been I'm like because when I when I wrote down um, memories of food and like specifically the family, I have so many with my family, but a few with your family came to mind. Eating with your family, and I was just thinking, I had no idea that your dad was that way. Would have loved a heads up. Didn't didn't get one from you. Uh, you I think you're good. No, no, yeah, I good. I was forced to go to Cotillion, so I'm fine. Um, nice. But yeah, I remember eating bison burgers at your house for the, and I'd never had a bison burger and you invited me over for bison burgers with your pops. And, um, I think the whole, I think the whole crew was there. Like Nick wasn't there, but, uh, Megan, Caroline, your mom. And that was a really memorable experience for me because we ate, I remember eating in your, uh, kitchen table that y'all had and at that house and, um, Cause I'd never, I don't think I've had a meal at, at y'all's dining room table. Cause it was like a very formal space, but yeah. that was the first meal I had at y'all's kitchen table, which had like uh, a beautiful view of like the pool and stuff. And I just remember your dad, like grilling the burgers and I had never heard of like, this was in high school, but I'd never had a bison. <laughs> I didn't know you could have bison. Um, and it was awesome. It was phenomenal. 
And I remember eating at that one restaurant. Was it Jasper's where we ate in the wine room? Yeah, it was like really a, fancy. Uh, yeah, a much nicer meal. And like that was when your dad told told us those ghost stories. <laughs> and I like well, net for whatever reason, like I he just had me locked in that whole night. He was just he had <laughs> Charlie Shaver just had my number that night, and I was like so I sat next to him, and it was just all it was an awesome experience. And then uh, the <laughs> the steakhouse. Uh, we don't have to get into that, but the steakhouse meal. It was like. With your uncle and your grandparents in here in North Carolina. Oh, that's just a whole other story. It's a whole other story. Oh, I, I, yeah. I don't want to get into the dinner, but there was yeah. like 30 people at that table. And I yeah. never, it was really interesting because I'd, I'd been up here for three years in North Carolina. And, you know, lo and behold, your grandfather lives 20 minutes from me. And so yeah. you would, you would come up every now and again and you said, Oh, we're going to go to, um, of course I'm spacing on the name, the the barn, Angus barn, Angus barn. We're going to go to Angus barn. And it was only, it was only a restaurant I'd heard of, um, but I'd never <laughs> been to. And so it was really cool to get to go to that for the first time with you and your family. Cause it felt like weirdly, like I was back in Texas cause you guys were all there, but then, yeah. you know, I don't know. And I just, I, it was a real treat to be able to go to that place and see it. Cause I'd never been. And that was uh, an incredibly fun and memorable meal. Um, yeah, dude, I've got, I can echo that right back at you. I mean, like high school, college, basically the ages of like 17 to 23 and four. I just, mm-hmm. I feel like I'd, ca- your parents must have spent a thousand dollars on, on me to eat with you guys at restaurants. <laughs> Cause your family is a big, like, Hey, let's go out, you know, mm-hmm. Friday night, Guadalajara or, yeah. Um, you know, Rico's, we used to go to yeah. Rico's all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Steel city pizza was a big oh, one yeah, for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I, I, there's somewhere there's like an Excel spreadsheet just with my tab on your family's <laughs> I have time. it. I've, I kept it running. I have it. <laughs> but the meals were so full. They were mm-hmm. so full. It, it, and I feel like the f- first sign to me that a meal is going to be good is when everyone is just sitting down and someone leads point and just goes, looks at the menu like, should we get a few apps? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just like yeah. before the waitress can wait. Oh God, subconscious bias alert <laughs> before, before the That's non-gendered okay. server can bring water. Someone's ordering like three different apps. And it's just it. like the sign that we're here <laughs> to converse we're here for a, for a full time i remember <laughs> that's a great point i remember once uh, my family used to go to this um tex-mex place called rico's it was like right by our house and it yeah. like shut down after a while it wasn't great but it was like super close and like yeah. easy to get a table is and it gone it's they're still going but that location's gone uh, um and it was like a local chain um in texas where, where we're from and I remember there was this one waiter who would always like come out of the kitchen with like essentially running and this floor was really like slippery <laughs> and like oily My and God. he would slide. And every time he would go slide, he would like, he would like <laughs> yell it to the whole restaurant, like, hey, I'm sliding out of the kitchen. And like that just became this running joke with my my brothers of like this waiter just being a total goof. And I remember like to, to speak to your appetizer point, particularly one time we were because Ken did the appetizer move. He's like, Why don't we start with some you know, like no one asked. He <laughs> yeah. just he just took command. My my older <laughs> my our my older brother, he's our the firstborn. He's like, Why don't we just start with some quesos? Let's do a uh 
queso con chili. Let's do a queso. <laughs> let's do a queso without. Uh, and let's also do a, a blanco. He just ordered three different quesos, like off the, <laughs> off, the, off the cuff, and it was like, all right, this is going to be a great meal. He's like, we're going to Uber Eats queso from a neighboring <laughs> Mexican restaurant to this one. Oh yeah, I think I think Ken's favorite food is chips and queso. No joke. <laughs> yeah, respect. Yeah, That's I just funny. I feel like your family does dinners really well. I feel like it's just it's really good energy, good food. You if you got to eat too much, I think I I think that's just the mark of a good meal. <laughs> you have um, to be a glutton and be overweight to be a part that's of not, it. <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. I remember for your birthday when you turned like 21 or 2. Oh, RIP. Um, I was thinking about that. Are we thinking of the same meal? We went to this Italian restaurant in like Montrose. Was it with, was it with Sam? My ex-girlfriend? Yeah. Yeah. And like yeah, your, yeah. your parents and Andrew and Sally. Yep. Yep. That was a great meal. And I remember this was one of the best Italian restaurants I've been to. <sighs> Phenomenal. To, like up to today. I'd never been. Do, like my, my dad just found the best Italian in Houston. Yeah. Yeah. But I do remember at the end of the meal, you go, I mean, it was good, but it wasn't like better than Carabas. <laughs> <laughs> I did not say that. You did say okay. that. I probably said that. I, I'm a sucker for Carabas. I'm easy, man. One of my favorite. One of my favorite food writers still claims that the Costco hot dog and or the I'm sorry, the Sam's Club hot dog and Coke is one of the best meals in America. <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm I'm of the uh, I'm of the simpler. Sure. I'm of the people, Ryan. What can I say? <laughs> Carabas. Yeah. yeah. That that meal wasn't. I think I ordered the wrong thing too. I went a little weird. I don't know. Like. It was like something. It was like pigeon caviar. <laughs> it was. It was. It was like a. It was like a pigeon infused. Uh, I don't even tortellini. I don't know. It, it was, was like veal, veal tartar. Yeah, it was like, a little. It, a little it's I a little rare. On, I went a little ambitious on the classic <laughs> Italian meal. Um, so as I was thinking about the kind of these like sacred spaces of food with my family, it really pulled me into thinking about food in a way that I hadn't in a long time, which is the more of the spiritual lens. So so for me as a pastor, like we do communion every week in our church and mm. um doing, you know, being at the communion table and you kind of have this in, in the story of of Jesus like who is Jewish. He's at this on his last night on earth, there's like this dinner party and he's um it's the Passover meal. And he's it's which is a which is you know the first night of this this big meal and he's like with his friends and this is where he does like the last supper stuff, right? Like this is, he picks up the bread, like, dude, this is, you know, gives thanks for it, breaks it, do this in remembrance of me, takes the cup, you know, it kind of says this, when you drink of this, is the cup of the new covenant, when you drink of this, uh, do it in remembrance of me. And I was just kind of thinking about that moment where in this bread and wine, which we, we refer to as the communion elements in the church world. Um, mm which are, I love that word elements and we use it because it's like speaks to the simplicity of them. Um, that like God shows up in the simple and in the ordinary, whether that's in food or out of food. Right. But there really is something with food and Jesus, you know, like in Deuteronomy, he quotes Deuteronomy and saying like, I am the bread of life. Uh, we say this in the Lord's prayer constantly, like give us today our daily bread. So there's like this sustenance element to it, but um, there is in this moment of, of communion, the Holy Spirit pouring out on this bread and wine, like making, making these elements, the body and blood of Jesus. And 
that's a pretty bold claim because then you take it and you eat it and like you ingest it. And for me and kind of in, in my job, and that is uh, a huge part of this, like we have, we celebrate the last supper in every single worship service. And so it's a, it's a constant thing. And, and then, and then also thinking about like to the point to where in the Methodist world, and this is the same in the Catholic world, you can't, um, just throw. So if you serve communion, do the bread and wine, you can't throw those elements away when they're done because they've been consecrated. And that would be like, you, you have to return them to the earth. So you have to drink it. Um, and it's, it's juice in our church. You can do it with wine, but most people do it with juice. Um, or you have to like pour it in the grass. You can't just like dump it down a drain. Yeah, And it's the same with the bread. So it's really interesting because the kids after every service will take the loaf of bread that's not done and they'll run around to people and give them more and ask, do you want more <laughs> bread until it's all gone? And so, yeah, I don't know. That's just like, it's a very tactile, like embodied way of, of spirituality, not just in the Christian faith, but in the Jewish faith, of course, and, and right. far beyond. Um, and so I, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of an interesting yeah, I think make for me. I'm obviously not a scholar of every religion, but I I imagine if you surveyed them all, food would play an important role. Mm-hmm. And um, oftentimes it's like the absence of food. It's fasting. It's intentionally withholding from food, mm-hmm. which I think is really important. And I know intermittent fasting is kind of like a fad now for different reasons. Um, for like explicitly like I, I yeah, easy yeah. to identify health like oh well it's getting you into ketosis so that's why i'm fasting yeah but but i, I i've always been really fascinated by the spiritual aspect of food and its absence as well mm-hmm. um yeah and the power it can truly hold and, and um yeah it's a really interesting point i wish i was smarter on some of these subjects <laughs> No, yeah, and I I know. I wish I was more better versed in world religions instead of just my own, but it it is definitely and I think fa- I think fasting's a great point too because that's I mean, for you as a Catholic, I mean, I remember us having a conversation early on about Lent and just the diff- I mean, that's that's a much more serious thing in the Catholic Church, and it is right. something that we observe and um but there's, you know, there's specific things with what like on fish on Fridays or yeah, during Friday? Lent, it's every Friday during Lent, so you're not supposed to eat meat, but you can eat fish. And so a lot of Catholic churches will have like fish fries. But Jim Gaffigan had this joke <laughs> about Catholics during Lent and like, you remember only fish on Fridays, unless you forget. <laughs> it's like... Well, yeah, and then you have like, this still exists even beyond the spiritual world. Like like I know at McDonald's and at Burger King, like the filet of fish sandwich, that's a Lenten thing that they do um, to where you can still eat fast food on Friday. Isn't that crazy that like they, they circle the timing of that still around the church. Yeah. Um, That is kind of insane. It was Ronald McDonald's offering up to Yahweh. (laughs) Just the filet of fish was the sacrificial lamb. That is so funny. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, of course, like in the story of um, the basic story of Jesus, you have this universal cycle of, I think, death and resurrection embodied in it. Like it's a way of, it's a story that tells you about the way things kind of work and the way, um, in my opinion, that like God is woven into the universe already. So 
this is really interesting. Like in North Carolina and I know in Boston, like you have the season of fall, right? Where I grew up, there really wasn't a fall season. Like here, I remember, you know, I guess six, seven years ago, the first time I moved up here and fall hit, it was like everything was red and brown and leaves were falling. And it was like one of the most beautiful things I'd ever seen. And then I had this thought of like, everything is dying. (laughs) Like we, we look at the, you know, the, and you, you have all these like, uh, Instagram posts and stuff of like girls yeah. like throwing like fall leaves in the air and like <laughs> pumpkin spice lattes and all this stuff. And it's like, they are just throwing like dead things in the yeah. air and calling it beautiful. And it is, it is beautiful. But like, and you think about this with food, like even if you're on a plant-based diet, you know, you're a vegan, like you're not, you're not eating animal protein, but like whether you're doing an animal based diet or protein based or it's, it's really it's impossible. I think, um, I could be wrong in this cause I'm not like food scientists, but to live and exist on food that has not, is not died. Right. Um, right. So it's like something, di- something was alive and then it dies and then we eat it and it gives us life. And if we don't, we die. And so like, this is like what I like to call the theology of the lion King. Like this is like the circle of yeah. life. Right. And it's, I don't know. It's a real, like, everything that we consume to keep us going has died in some sense. And that, yeah. that, that can be kind of overwhelming to think about, but also incredibly beautiful. It is. It's, it's like a, on one level, it's like a joke that you could attack a vegan with like, Oh, you don't want to hurt an animal, but you'll hurt a plant. And yeah. It's like, what is this like? Are you saying entourage, even plants scream when you rip them from the ground? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kind of. I mean, I, I do think it's different, a chicken and a plant, sure. um, as 100%. far as like sentience. Um, but it's really true, and, and there's a great Louis just like bit about humans escape. Like we've escaped the food chain. Mm. We are no longer in the food chain. We're not even at the top. We're out of it. Mm. We like we don't get chased down at the end of our lives and and get mauled by a cheetah. It's not a possibility mm. for us. Um, having said that, I think it's true to a sense. But it, I when I was kind of thinking in advance of this pod, he has one thing I thought of was how we are food for so mm-hmm. many microorganisms or whatever. Um, we are these living hosts for yeah. just countless zillions of little tiny, like bacteria yeah. and, and all these things that like on a, a biological level live within us. Mm. Like, we eat yogurt. We're eating living things. Yeah, that are cultures. To, yeah, yeah, that are going to live within us. Our gut bacteria. It's just, mm. uh, it's so fascinating to me that we are living hosts for all these other things that live off of us. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to think about it too much because it's kind of upsetting. But like, <laughs> I remember uh, one time I was playing paintball when I was like thirteen in. We would play in the summertime in Connecticut. So <laughs> For some really reason, I'm sorry. I just had this shot. I'm cool. so sorry to interrupt, but I just had this shot in my head of like you just pulling off your mask for a minute and paintball and just getting like destroyed in the face. From my, I, like 30 I did actually shoot you with paint. I did actually shoot a kid who took his mask off one time. Oh, the old the, the old headshot. Talk about sacred. He <laughs> took his mask off and I shot him in the face and I like... <laughs> I didn't know he had his mask off. I couldn't really see. Oh, yeah, right. You're no, like, no, no, you're I like, swear. This I, is my time. <laughs> I ended up yelling at him. I was like, you idiot. I said words that I won't repeat here. I was 13, but. Oh, you like, got you mad idiot. at him. Yeah, I was like, I could have blinded you. Like, oh, what yeah. are you doing? You should never take your mask off in a field. 
the field of battle in, in, during service. <laughs> you are on a tour of duty right now. <laughs> yeah, a little too much Call of Duty, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then we executed him. We lined him oh up against God. a wall and called him a traitor. <laughs> we used red paint. Just, just, you just dumped a paint can on him. It was. Uh, oh, sorry, I'm sorry. I derailed you. <laughs> get, get back to your story. I messed it up. So you're playing paintball. Not, well, forget listeners. Forgive Colin for ruining the podcast and <laughs> and possibly is my that a, year. Is that um, a Step Brothers quote. <laughs> forgive Dale for interrupting and ruining the story and possibly the evening. <laughs> uh, no, I used to, so we used to play in like this really dense, thick mm-hmm. New England wood, and we'd like cool. you know we're into it, so we're like rolling around in the woods. And, you know, after hours of playing paintball, I came home and was taking a shower and I noticed this is maybe TMI. Uh, basically, I, I found know. a tick. I found a tick embedded within me like a few hours later. And he was like, this is kind of weird. Trigger warning. Um, he was like embedded in my nipple. Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah. The old, and nip, you can't, the old nip tick? <laughs> the old nip tick. You can't just like pull a tick out. Can you, you not? Have, no, you cannot pull it out there. Once they're embedded within you, it's so like strong. You have to either like light it on fire. Oh, that's or, right. Well, I sure wasn't lighting my nipple on fire. So I like ran <laughs> to my mom and she had to put nail polish remover. Oh, that's right. All over the tick to suffocate it. And then you take it out. Oh, but, that's terrifying. Yeah, it's super terrifying. But it just made me think like, oh, I for like six hours, I was just like food for this tick. It was just like living yeah. off me. And that happens every day in ways we, we don't even notice. That's a great point. That's a really great point. Yeah, Brittany always, because um, we live in very wooded areas in North Carolina, and she always checks for ticks, like after walks and hikes and stuff when we go places or kayaking, yeah. or you know, and I never do. And the other day I had like kind of a pain on my head. And, uh, I, I like, like a bruise and I like felt it and I was like, I bet I have a tick and I like freaked out and I was like, is there a tick there? And she's like, no. Um, (laughs) so I've never had that experience, but I'm terrified now of, of getting one. Yeah. Lyme disease is like a serious thing. That's right. It is like a buddy of mine, um, was playing like Frisbee golf out in the woods and got a tick and they like caught it and but he had to he had like the bullseye show up or whatever yeah and he had to get like antibiotics and basically like they give you a round of antibiotics and they're like well we hope that clears it out and if not you have lyme's disease <laughs> if not <laughs> get you your die. affairs in order um <laughs> you die <laughs> yeah that's intense <laughs> if not can i have your playstation 4 <laughs> um can, no, I, I, can just... I can I tell one story about serving communion that's hilarious? Um, yeah, yeah, totally. Like weird experiences that happen. And again, like not to overdo it, but like, I, I don't know. There's a lot of like, I work with young adults and there's a lot of young adults who's like, oh, like faith is so hard or spirituality is so hard. Like it's this ethereal, like other dimensional thing. How am I supposed to even like start to practice it? It's like, well, like there are some very tangible embodied things like fasting, like where you feel like, you know, your system is lacking something and you reminds you of your humanity, right? Regardless yeah. of what faith belief you're in. And then there's like communion. And of course there's other like meals and stuff and feasts, but, um, that you ingest these things. But so it's, it's, I think it's like a, a great tool and that like, eh, it's yeah, like it can be this ethereal thing, but it's also can be really embodied, which is like speaks to like, you know, Jesus particularly showing up incarnate in the flesh literally uh, is what that means. And so we're, I'm doing communion one time and 
I was like, kind of, it was like, I think it was like, we were talking about the incarnation or something that, that, uh, specific day and this idea that like kind of Jesus shows up in the flesh. And so it was like one of those days where it's like, Oh, like, you know, communion really, it's like, it's like, this is significant. I had that thought of like, this is like a significant thing I'm doing and I'm serving it. And, uh, I was doing, um, the other pastor was doing the bread and I was doing the cup. And so the way we do it in the, in the UMC is, is by something called intinction, which is where, and we explain this every Sunday where we're going to give you a piece of bread and then you are going to take that piece of bread and dip it into the cup and then you're going to eat it. And so it's not like you, we all drink out of the same yeah. cup, which is like, right, the kind of thing of the, we don't do the wafers unless, of course, you're gluten-free. But so it's, it's coming through and it's like this like older lady comes through and she takes the bread, right? Does good. And as she's coming to the cup, she pops the piece of bread in her mouth with, you know, having not dipped it in the cup. So no Ooh. wine, just pops it in her mouth. And she comes to me and I'm like holding out the cup and I didn't see what had happened. I was just like, oh, like she didn't get a piece of bread. So I'm looking to the other guy, the other pastor. I'm like, did you not give her a piece of bread? She pulls the piece of bread out of her mouth, dips the piece of bread, the used oh, bread no. into the cup. Oh, and then, bro. And then finishes it. And I was in absolute shock and dismay. Oh. I froze because the line moves fast. Sure. And I just froze. And before I could even like process or change out the cup, then a little kid comes up and just like, oh, like, unsuspecting, dunks his whole like fist in it with bread. And it just kept moving. And I was like, you didn't say anything. This was a failure on my part as a pastor. Like, I should have totally switched this cup out. And I didn't because I was just in complete shock. And like, did anyone notice? And then like, like probably 50 people later, these two, um, these two young mothers who I'm like really close friends with come through and they're just like laughing, losing it. And they both take the bread and they act like they're going to dip it in, but they don't actually because they saw everything that happened and they were just like losing it. And like, yeah, I'm not going to dip like uh, bread in that. So I don't know. That just made me laugh. And it was like one of those things where, I, it's just, it's just the stuff that happens when you're, when you're doing stuff. You got to just laugh and move on. She like dunked her dentures into the (laughs) the blood. (laughs) I like to be extra holy. It was, it was, uh, it was pretty hilarious and awesome. Dude, that's, that's really funny. And and like wholly unacceptable. Yeah, exactly. I had one more, one more instance, little, little kid, like God love him. And and we did, he doesn't, when we explain this, like this little kid doesn't, he doesn't understand. He's like one or one. He's like barely walk. I don't know. When do kids start walking? He's like barely walking. And he comes up and like, a lot of times you have to look to the parent, like, do they want, cause sometimes they come up with the kid and they don't actually want communion. Um, for the kid, they just have the kid with them, yeah. right? Well, they motion like, yeah, you can give him communion. So I kneel down and I pull off the piece of bread and I hand it towards him. And he looks up at his parents because he doesn't know what to do. And he yeah. looks at me and I'm like, you can take it. That's what I say. I said, take it. You can take it. And he just looks back at me and looks up and looks back at his parents like, are you sure this is okay? Kind of thing. They're like, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> and then he just proceeds to open his mouth and just encompasses <laughs> my entire like hand with his mouth and eats the bread out of my hand like like a like a horsey like a little horse (laughs) it was like one of the funniest i was laughing so hard and i'd like pull it together to finish the rest of the line but like no one explained to him like we both just kept saying take it take it and so naturally he just (laughs) pops his tongue out and licks it out of my hand it was so funny
(laughs) (laughs) I remember during my first communion, so you're like 12 or 13, something like that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, No, 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 no. That's confirmation. First communion was was younger. Um, Maybe seven, eight, or nine, something like that. Mm. Some kid dropped it on the ground. Oh. And he like he like couldn't pick it up, and even at oh, because the wafer was, it's like a credit card. It's yeah, like it's to, like yeah. flat on the ground, <laughs> and I was like, oh, this kid's this kid's going to hell. He's done. <laughs> and I had already made it, so I was like, oh, God likes me. Um, and no joke, Purgatory. later that day, like we left the church to go out to eat, uh, a bird um, pooped on me, and I remember oh. it's the only time in my life a bird has ever pooped on me. And he thought that it, we're done, we're done. And I was like, well, that was probably punishment for talking trash about Devin <laughs> just earlier in the communion line, just talking just, trash. I love it. I was like, oh, he's he's a goner. <laughs> Sorry, but nope. That's so I got funny. punished from the literal heavens. <laughs> uh, bird avian feces come runneth down. That is hysterical. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we should we should wind down here in the last maybe like ten minutes. Um, Can we talk about cooking? Uh, we- uh, um, yeah, cooking. Actually, that's definitely not a ten minute conversation. <laughs> 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 I can I just I, I was curious for you because you and I have we lived together and I saw you cook a number of times you saw me cook a number of times yeah do you still cook are you do you consider yourself a cooker I a cooker a cook a cooker I've definitely gone through phases of my life I realize I like do whatever my roommate does so like hmm. one of my roommates cooked a lot so I cooked a lot then my next one didn't so I ate out a lot and Mm. i'm like maritally single and have no kids so it's like i can do either i can eat out or i can cook Mm -hmm. it's fiscally gonna be the same so i can get away with both lifestyles um i just bought like a lot of lake crusette stuff which is this really nice cast iron yeah sounds nice dutch ovens and and skillets and stuff i spent like an obscene amount of money on just like five lake crusette pieces so are they copper are those the copper pieces N- no, it's, so it's, ca- it's it's cast iron. Oh, um, oh you which said is that. Like a really nice. Yep. Like you got to take care of it. You can only wash it in certain ways, but it it like gets better with time. So we, I have did a, this we, have ins- a, we have a cast iron skillet. It's been going for ye- twelve years. Yeah, yeah. You could in theory inherit it from like grandparents. And you're not supposed to use like so. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, not even. Tw- yeah. This was Brittany's no. grandmother's cast iron, and and we wash it with just a little bit of like olive oil and yeah. like just kind of like oil it out. Yeah, if you got like a tough stain on there, you can use some salt to like scrub, mm. but you don't use soap and, and so interesting. you don't, yeah, it, it's kind of a pain, but once you learn how to do it, um, it's a really lovely piece. The point is I bought all this stuff to like mm-hmm. incentivize myself to cook. And so I cook a lot. I either cook or I'm eating like Eggo waffles. I'm like this culinary bipolar <laughs> person who who can make like a decent meal, but also... Like I made a toaster strudel today, so <laughs> I'm not above I using a toaster. So I don't know. I feel like you and Brittany, I mean, you started this podcast off by telling us, you know, what you've been grilling and cooking, but I feel like you cook a lot or more than you used to. For sure. More than I used to. We started doing HelloFresh a few years ago to just yes, really good. like force ourselves to cook three times a week. Um, Cause that's like, we both love cooking. We've learned, but we hate grocery shopping. Um, sure. So with, with that just eliminates a lot of it, having, you know, three meals for two people delivered to you. And this isn't a HelloFresh commercial by any means, because it can very much feel like you're just following instructions and not really learning anything. But it has taught me a ton 
about like I had, I was really afraid of preparing fish and seafood sure. and it's really like with tilapia and salmon and um, cod and fish tacos like it's really forced me kind of out of my comfort with and so every week we do like um, like a chicken a fish or a vegetarian and then we'll throw like the red the red meat in there occasionally but yeah always like a different protein to work with and um, I've using words like protein instead of (laughs) yeah but yeah it's been it's been fun to and then like whoever we started cooking them together and like cooking a lot together and that would just like we would just fight over the dumbest stuff because she likes to veer away from the recipes and i'm a little i like to stay a little closer to home (laughs) um like let the great chef one teaspoon Um, she likes She's to eyeballing. add her own flair. She puts cilantro in everything. Um, oh, yeah. and I'm like, I like to go dip. So whoever, uh, cooks doesn't have to clean is like our rule on weeknights. That's nice. Which is That's great. Nice. Unless, but when we, when we grill and like cook out with, and I love the charcoal grill. I do a lot on the charcoal grill. Um, when we cook for friends, um, and do like big cookouts and stuff, it's like imperative that we do it together. Cause she does like a ton of the stuff inside and I can just focus yeah. on, the grill Grill. and not leaving the patio and but yeah it's like uh, cooking is something i didn't do a lot growing up and i've ate out all the time as you'd mentioned like especially in college like it was like you know going to the cafeteria eating out but i've really in the recent years grown to love and appreciate cooking and thinking thinking even just more about like where does because i was horrible about like you know, like you eat, yeah, like strudels or cereal as a kid. And it's like, oh, food, you get food from the grocery store and that's really it. And it's yeah. like, well, you're just actually eating a ton of processed yeah. food. And I'm not like a food, like one of those people for sure. But like my wife, like read a bunch of Michael Poland and I've seen his like Netflix stuff about like how to think of like food. He wrote like, f- like a really short thing on food rules, which I read, which was like the outskirts of the grocery store. Like yeah. don't shop, don't shop in any of those. Um, or I'm sorry, only shop on the outside. Yeah, don't shop yeah. in the inside. Yeah. Which, cause that's where all like the produce, that's where all the real, the dairy, that's where all the real food is. And I've grown to really appreciate thinking about just sourcing more and, um, watched a few docs and actually been to like, uh, you know, like a, a, um, a chicken farm and, and seeing like what a chicken in a cage is Dude. like versus like one that runs like a cage free and, that's a really interesting. Dude, my brother is the least like Michael Poland eating animals person on this planet. Really? Have yeah, like the last guy you would ever think would like stop eating, you know, something, mm-hmm. um, an animal product. But he is a finance guy, and so he did uh, auditing for a while. Okay. Um, he's like an he was an accountant and and a CPA, and he's now transitioned. Uh, away from that but when you audit companies you like go to the site of the company and like Hmm. audit their assets to make sure that they're you know reporting everything accurately and he once went to a chicken farm and he had to stop eating like chick-fil-a which is his favorite food in the world he had to stop eating chick-fil-a i think for like a couple years years Um, it was that intense yeah my point is what he, well, I don't know, I've never been to a chicken farm, but what he saw was so upsetting that it, it basically converted the unconvertible. Um, now he eats Chick-fil-A and, and chicken again, but I, I think what it caused him to do was 
consider the same things that you're bringing up. Like, mm. where does our food come from? And you know what? I may not give up meat, but how can I use my purchasing power in an altruistic manner mm-hmm. to make sure that things are done in like as humane way as possible? Sure, sure. Well, and it's like the conversation I had with um, it was my family. Well, I forget if it was with my mom or dad or all of them, but Br- Brittany, uh, my wife, and we got married was very intentional about, Hey, I know we can't fight every good fight, you know, and, and conversations like this or, you know, the social justice type things, but it's really important to me that we buy fair trade coffee because I, I just, that's one of the things, you know, like we can't, we can't do it. You can't do it all. Right. And if you try, you're going to like burn yourself out. But that was something that she really, you know, came to me and wanted to commit to. And of course I don't, I mean, I don't care. Like I, I like good coffee. And so, and, but what's interesting is like, you find like that it's just better coffee. Like not only are the workers being paid fair wages and our rainforest is like not being destroyed, but like, it's just a better product. (laughs) And so like when you eat, uh, cage free eggs or, you know, like a, like an un, un, like a Trader Joe's does like bacon that doesn't have sugar added or just like, even just like simple things that, that have to do with sourcing like that, that directly affects the quality. And like when you have a chicken tender from like a local, um, farm which i've which i've had like a fried chicken tender versus like a bag of like tyson frozen i mean like it's just totally different yeah it's a totally different experience it is and i think kind of one of the added tragedies is that it's a point of privilege for you and i to have access to these things so Mm -hmm, for sure the the fact is there's just hundreds of millions oh no well in america there's hundreds of millions but across the world the vast majority of people mm-hmm. do, are not do not have the luxury of being able to discriminate between like grass fed beef mm-hmm. and corn fed beef. They have to go with what is cheaper and what and is what's, cheaper and what's in the town. Even like McDonald's what's available. And Walmart. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, we're at Whole Foods making some of these decisions. They yeah. have like a rating system. It's like a five on the scale, but like if you've left America, you know that like yeah. you, in so many places you go to the store and that's the beef they have. And to be honest, it probably was not raised in great conditions um, yeah. nor slaughtered humanely. And so it's like, it sucks so much that so many people like just don't, A, don't have like the educational uh, resources to like be informed on some of these decisions, but then B, don't have- Just access access decisions or see the fiscal ability to make the decisions that we're talking about. And so like, yeah, we're off having some of these debates, but like the fact of the matter is we're kind of the top 1% in a way. Mm -hmm. And like, it makes a difference, I think for us to, to do our part in the matter, but it just sucks that like, I don't know how to overthrow the system and I don't know if we can. Well, yeah. And I think, I think, yeah, like the, the most important thing you have, and this is kind of sad, but it, it is your money, right? And it's where you spend it. Um, so if you keep buying, you know, and, and, and I'm not saying this to preach to anybody because like I am still the guy that will eat Little Caesars crazy bread, right? Sure. And well, like my brother uh, used to, when he would get Little Caesars, my other brother, he would always say, mm, a bear family recipe. <laughs> that was like his, his <laughs> joke with it. But like, yeah, like I still get the hot dog at Costco every now and again or the pretzel, yeah. you know, whatever. And that's, that's perfectly fine. I think that's perfectly great. But like if everyone is buying you know, uh, cage free eggs and just stopped buying the, you know, the non cage free eggs, 
which of, of course, like this is a conversation of privilege and, and class and all, all sorts of other things as well wrapped into this capitalism. But like those other types of eggs that are a lower quality and that are, you know, less humane towards the chicken would stop being sold. That's just the fact, right? It's like, and so that is part of the conversation of, of what you said is like spending your money in an intentional way. And, and I, I don't know, that's what I really value about that conversation and conversations like this is just do, doing things more intentionally. No, yeah. you cannot do everything intentionally. Sometimes you just want to go to Starbucks and get a caramel macchiato like I did this morning on my way to church, and it is not fair trade, right? But, you know, you, d- you do what you can. Like, if yeah. they're, like in, I don't know, like in Aldi where we shop, like the fair trade coffee is right next to the non-fair fair trade coffee, and they're honestly the same price at Aldi. So it's like, yeah. you might as well. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, reminds me of this maybe line. 50 cents more. Reminds me of this line from The Aviator when Howard Hughes, he's like this OCD, like he's afraid of germs and he's, blo- you know, blocking off parts of his house that he's like, I won't go in that that room. It's dirty. And his friend, Ava Gardner, comes over to like help him. Mm. And she's like going into the dirty room and he's like, well, how do you know it's clean? And she goes, nothing's clean, Howard, but we do what we can. And I kind of feel like that's like the attitude we should take is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The fact is, I'm going to go to the store today. I'm not going to revolutionize food supply chain but at least i should do what i can and like hopefully it affects some positive change here um and so for sure yeah and and, um i also and that of course like none of this is like the goal of this podcast but it i mean yeah like we're talking about food and that's what's coming to mind for us i remember going i remember going to manhattan for the first time with my cousin um, who's like my dad's, he's my second cousin. So he's kind of like my uncle. And he said, I'm going to get, we were at a bagel shop in New York. He's like, these are the best bagels in America. Like, I forget where we were, but of course I don't remember the name. And he's like, I'm going to get locks. Do you want locks? And I was like, ah, I don't like locks. And he's like, well, where have you had it? I was like, I don't know. Like I had it at a place in Houston once. I had a place in London. <laughs> like, it wasn't, it just wasn't, I, I just didn't like the taste of it. And he was like, you haven't had the best locks in the world yet. And yeah. I got locks with him and it was like, this is phenomenal. Like this is, yeah. you just, it's like, it's like with sushi. It's like, if you just eat gas station sushi, which I've done, it's like, ah, I don't yeah. like sushi. But then it's like, when you have like fresh sushi. The best. Or fresh locks. It's like, oh my gosh, this is and for me, like I was like, I categorized myself as a picky eater when I was younger, but it was just, I think it was just because I had bad versions of these types of food, especially with like Thai food and Vietnamese and pho and Indian food. Like I just had not had very good renditions yeah. of these types of food. Yeah. I feel like it's strange because I think a lot of us are still picky eaters in the sense that we're hyper-conscious of what we're eating. Mm. Never has a generation before been so aware of like health and fitness and nutrition like we have. Um, Mm -hmm. I I, I think we're the first generation to kind of come of age in this like super post supersize me uh, yeah. fast food nation world and Which so they I made, actually, th- did they make you watch that in school supersize me they required that in health class yeah i was really fascinated by it mm-hmm. um at like age 15 but because it was news to me i was like oh wait soda's really bad for yeah, you. I, yeah. I had never thought of soda as mm-hmm. being bad i thought it was water it goes right through you um but i think we're actually i think we're all picky eaters as kids but 
I think a lot of us are still really picky eaters in the sense that I think there's a lot of people out there who won't allow themselves to enjoy like soda anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's, that's good. That's not like a bad thing. I still do occasionally, mm-hmm. but like this is kind of a, a weird thing that I've never really told anyone. I've maybe told one or two people from like age, like 20 to 23, I I definitely had this thing. This is self-diagnosed, but I'm like, I've read a lot about it. I definitely had this thing called like selective eating disorder, mm. which is where you're you're just obsessed with every single thing you're eating. I don't mean like the object that you're eating. I mean the ingredients that you're eating. So like- Interesting. Yeah, like I was my pickiest eater- when I was like a young adult, basically. And I was like, uh, obsessed is not too strong a word. Like if I was going out to eat, I would like research beforehand a menu. And if that restaurant had their ingredients like listed somewhere, I would read ingredients before to like make sure I knew what I was eating and if there was like a weird chemical and I had like certain chemicals or things that I would look for. And if that was in something, then I wouldn't order that thing. And it became like really prohibitive to enjoying life or like going out to eat now required, you know, a couple hours of homework beforehand. Mm. And it was this super unhealthy period of my life. And if I like discovered something. Okay. But that, that sounds semi healthy to me. Like, Brittany does that a lot of like, oh, like I don't, I like aspartame gives me headaches, so I don't drink it, you know? And if something like I don't drink diet soda because it has aspartame in it, but like, isn't that just being like conscious of chemicals and like what's, what's natural in food and what's not? Yeah. I think in and of itself, like being aware of what you're eating and like working to avoid things like sucralose was like, ah, I don't yeah. like that artificial sweetener. I think that's fine. I think it becomes a disorder when it really like dictates literally every move of your day potentially. Mm -hmm. And if, and when your code is violated. Okay. So you were obsessing over it. It was like kind of controlling you. Yeah. It would cause like, (laughs) like if I found out that I ate something retroactively that, that violated my personal food code, Mm -hmm. I would go like run five miles on the spot, or I'd go like swim for an hour as hard as I could on the Get spot. Get out of or, here. We were living yeah. together at this time. I don't even remember this. Partially, yeah. And then it definitely went into after and like Whoa. those first years post college and like would basically like abuse myself. Like, not. Whoa. Abuse myself through exercise. I'd like beat yeah, yeah. My, myself down mm. to like punish myself and like try and exercise my way out of it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's when it becomes more of like a disorder. And, and then conversely, like eating healthy becomes this idol. It becomes this total almost like salvation complex. Like, oh, mm. because I am eating spinach, because I am eating this soup where I do know every ingredient and I'm okay with it. I am therefore existentially, spiritually, metaphysically at peace. And mm. I think I just don't think that's a healthy way to live. And no, for sure. Yeah. I definitely had that like pickiness for a few years and I didn't really tell anyone because I didn't really understand it or recognize that it was bad, but I now do. Mm-hmm. And Again, it's like self-diagnosed. I never like went to anyone and they like told me I had this thing. I'm not making light of, but I'm also not making light of anything. Like it it was kind of ruining my life for a few years. No, for sure. Wow. That's so interesting. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, 
I, yeah, most people I know have had some sort of experience with an eating disorder in their life. Yeah, which I think sadly. is which is yeah, sadly, which is really interesting. I myself am like an emotional eater. I overeat a lot, and then we'll go you know twelve hours without eating, and so it's definitely um, yeah. I feel bad. Like I've I've a lot of what I've said has has been hopeful and not really like I am like yeah I, I don't know like I'm not a super in shape guy. I'm not like a super, like I'm not a nutritionist by any means. Like I am an everyday guy who likes to eat, you know, normal things, but I'm very young in this conversation of yeah. intentionality, but it, it is interesting to see um, when you, I don't know, like where these things come from. I, I definitely think like media has a lot to do with it. And the fact that yeah. we just are in a country where there's just an, an excess of food. And like, I think like the supersized doc, that was something you talked about. It's like you, you order, I mean, you're just given more food than you need in a lot of, yeah. you know, times. And, um, for me, that's something my cooking has really taught me is just even like, here's the list of ingredients that you're going to have in this. And, just knowing that from the get go, it's a lot harder to do that when you're eating out, especially if you're trying yeah. to eat clean, you're trying to eat healthy of like, you just don't know what's in it. And like their job is to make it taste as good as they can. So they can yeah. sell more, right? Oil, um, butter, salt. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's, what's really cool about some of these business models like Zoe's kitchen that are like really like predicated on, uh, health and quality of ingredients and knowledge about what's in it, um, yeah. as opposed to we're gonna we want to sell as many of these as possible. But man, that's really interesting. I'm I'm I didn't know that. Yeah, I don't really know what I I do remember thinking because I guess you were 21 when we lived together. So it's at the beginning of this. I do remember that you would grill salmon on your George Foreman <laughs> and do like. Uh, Brussels sprouts, like a bag of Brussels sprouts. Sprouts are healthy. Yeah, yeah. You were super. Like you would eat that for dinner, and almost every night, I felt like you yeah. would actually put a prepackaged from Whole Foods, like vacuum sealed, fresh salmon. Of course, yeah. it's like frozen, but like on the. Or you know, you did you? I don't even know if you bought it frozen. I, I feel like I did a lot of fresh stuff, but you know. It is expensive and you're in college, so. Sure, sure. And then I'm like, you know, like, oh, we're grilling burgers down in the grill by the pool or like I'm making, I, I remember that year I, I grilled shrimp a lot. I just was really into yeah. shrimp and it was like, you, I remember thinking Ryan eats the same thing and then you'd wait a few hours and you'd have like a mug of Kashi. You were really into Kashi. Like Kashi cereal. Yeah, I was so, cereal. yeah. And it was like, this guy does the same, he has like the same food routine every night. I almost felt like, and so I, yeah, I wondered, I just thought you were particular about what you liked. And of course those are healthy things. Those are, you're eating better than I was. So I didn't really think much of it, but I wonder if I caught the beginning of that phase. Yeah, I think so. I, it sucks. Cause I kind of wasted like my prime, just like metabolism years on healthy <laughs> food. Like I definitely should have e been eating poorly and yeah, I would have faced so no funny. consequences, but I do remember something like around tw age 24, 25, I like had a few like health ailments, hmm. Um, nothing serious, but then it like jolted this thought in me. It's like, oh, like I can't like it's yes, it's good to strive to be healthy, but you a are going to die one day, and b like you can't completely control your own mortality, and like nah. you can do x, but y will still happen to you. Yeah, that has nothing to do with food, and it it caused this like point of frustration. I was like, well, I ate, I did everything right, mm. and I still like 
you know, have to get a mole removed because of, you know, potential melanoma. Like this is, mm-hmm. <laughs> even though those things aren't connected at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when in 50, 50, when Joseph Gordon, Gordon Levitt yeah. gets cancer and he's like, cancer me, I recycle. I recycle. Like his, his response to that is I recycle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's this great Jackie Onassis, Jackie Kennedy line when she's diagnosed with lung cancer and like her sixties, she, the first thing she says to the doctor is, well, what were all those sit-ups for? <laughs> and it, it, again, like, obviously don't be a nihilist and a hedonist, but, so like, you know, do what you can, but like, enjoy life. Like, make sure mm-hmm. you're, you're letting your hair down every once in a while. And like, because yeah. the fact is no one gets out alive, so you might as well enjoy your ride to some extent. Yeah, stop drinking sodas, drink LaCroix, and then when you go to the movie theaters, get an icy. Like Heck there's yeah, nothing son. more exciting to me in the movies than an icy. Like that's the time to do it. Oh, preach, boy. Um, <laughs> we what, should probably. That's yeah. That's we got. Grab a, a, a quick bookmark. Let's grab a bookmark. Let's call this an episode. We've got more to say about this conversation, so we'll continue with uh, part two of food. We're going to get into um, some other parts of the conversation. Anything else to add before we bounce, Ryan? No, I think. I think thanks for for sticking with us, listeners. I, I think this first part was very um, philosophical, kind of grand. I think. I think for the second part, we're going to lighten it up a bit, maybe do some ping pong back and forth, mm-hmm. questioning a little more lighthearted yeah, we gotta, discussion. We got to talk about our favorite foods. We got to get into we, that. We do. So I think in the future that might be our model. We're we're still playing with some of these tones, mm-hmm. so. We might do a little tonal shift here, so um, stick around. Thanks so much. Yeah, and please, any information you have about your connection with food, what it means to you, stories, send those to us. We want to read them. BartToDeathPodcast at gmail.com, social media, DM us, all that stuff. And uh, jump in next Monday for Food Part 2. See you then. See you then. Bye. 9 p.m. With street lights, it's never too late to readjust your seat. Sit back and think right, you never can trust oncoming headlights. You're my luchador in Spandex, so call me if you need me.